When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Several weeks, a relaxation Sunday with the Ravens winning big at the bank. I am Antonio Barbera, and I'm joined by my significantly calmer co-hosts, starting first on the East Coast, Tim Horsey. Tim, can we not just win every game by 28 points? I mean, this was the most surprisingly comfortable game that the Ravens have played, I think. I think we used to think that it was, oh, if they're going to beat them by 100 then they don't, and then you kind of realize that everything's a trap game and the Ravens played a competition and you're expecting something close. I mean, frankly, and we talked about it when we reunited a couple weeks ago to, to watch the, the Monday night game, I thought the Ravens were going to lose this game. And thank the Lord, they proved me wrong significantly. So, uh, yeah, that, we're gonna, victory Monday here as we record. I cannot wait to talk about this game. And on the West Coast, Jace Evans. Jace, put the Cheerios away. Are we good? Are we hard healthy this week? Yeah, we're, uh, you know, I think as Ravens fans, Antonio, we're all kind of various degrees of scarred. I'm not going to pretend to lie and say that when it was 27-6 with still an entire quarter to go that I wasn't at least marginally concerned. I'm like, that's a lot of time. But I will say, overall, very enjoyable uh, viewing experience. I felt pretty comfortable uh, after they they score out a halftime, which we'll get into. But yeah, uh, I can't believe this was the game that was the easiest, uh, biggest margin of victory, uh, the most in control the Ravens have been from start to finish all season. Did certainly did not anticipate that. Uh, you know, hand up. We all picked the chargers in our picks. <laughs> um, and the, you know, the Ravens ended up, uh, covering that minus three, three and a half, uh, you know, sevenfold. <laughs> so, um, yeah, amazing performance. And I think, um, you know, portends, I think good, you know, it's such a week-to-week league. It's hard to believe this Ravens team uh, needed a 66-yard record-breaking field goal to beat the the winless Detroit Lions just a few weeks ago, and then they just hammer, hammer the Los Angeles Chargers team that came in with a matching 4-1 record. 
it's a weird it's a weird league. Um, Ravens now five and one for the fourth time in franchise history. Uh, the prior the first two times were the first two years they won the Super Bowl in two thousand and twenty twelve, and they also did it last year. So let's uh, let's make it three out of four Super Bowl uh, wins with five and one starts. As you mentioned last week, all three of us pretty confident at least in Chargers the line that was set, which was three three and a half. But no, instead the Ravens come out, force a couple of punts, score a couple of touchdowns, take control from there, and this game was over early. Uh, at least for the for a, a casual Ravens fan, perhaps maybe not for uh, for some of the hosts here. But I want to talk about first the offensive performance. And when I was thinking of how to approach this episode, I I, I couldn't really key on on one player to start with. I didn't want to. It didn't really seem right to do the Lamar. 10 minutes or, or pick on a, a specific running back or a wide receiver. So we're going to, it has to be like a collective uh, conversation here. Jackson, 167 passing yards. Uh, no running back had more than 10 carries or more than 53 yards. No receiver had more than five catches. Everything was spread out in the air on the ground, but first downs all the time, touchdowns at the end, scoring drives, and only two punts. Uh, so what was your guys' thoughts on, on the Ravens' offensive performance? I mean, the biggest takeaway here, and you kind of danced around it a little bit when you're talking about how spread out it was, is that Lamar Jackson didn't have to be Superman. He was allowed to be an effective NFL quarterback without legitimately having to put the whole team on his back, though. And I was incredibly impressed with the play calling, with the receivers, with Jackson's decision-making outside of the one, and let's just get it out of the way now, horrendous <laughs> interception after Deshaun Elliott's pick. And he just The guy was hiding in the logo at the 50, I guess, and he didn't see him. I don't know what was happening there. But all that aside, uh, I thought everybody played well. I mean, let's break it down a little bit. I don't want to give all my thoughts right off the top here. My biggest one, I'll start here. And if, if you've listened to this podcast, you know where I'm going. I thought the offensive line was great. I think outside of two sacks towards the end of the first half where they really could have put the nail in the coffin, and Antonio and Jace can attest, if you look at the Pod Like a Raven text group, I was incredibly upset because I thought that was the, that was the door-opening moment that the Chargers needed. Um, outside of those and the protection and Lamar kind of holding on to the ball a little bit too long, I thought they were incredibly effective. You know, after not setting the record by themselves uh, for the rushing yards. They rushed for 187 yards. There was a lot of pooling guards, a lot of pooling Alejandro Villanueva, uh, Patrick McCarry, particularly on a first and 20. Uh, Lamar had to scramble out. McCarry was quick to recognize that Lamar was moving and basically became his lead blocker. I thought the patience from the running backs in the run game was good too. You saw Devontae Freeman. You saw Le'Veon Bell. You saw Latavius Murray when he was in there, and hopefully his injury uh, you know, isn't too serious on the ankle kind of being patient with their offensive linemen, letting these plays develop in front of them and then gaining positive yards from it. So the offensive line for me, and let's talk about everything else, but for me, I thought the offensive line really stepped up. Um, also, the Chargers are crap on defense, so that definitely helped. Well, I was going to say, we talked to, in the in the lead-up, uh, you know, we mentioned the Chargers were ranked 32nd uh, against the run entering this match. Can they be 33rd, by the way? <laughs> Can we make them just 33rd or 34th? Because that was pitiful. That, yeah, so I think you, you kind of touched on it, Tim. I think that was what I appreciated most is like they were like this team cannot stop the run 
Um, let's let's stick to it. Let's stick to this uh, game plan. You know, it was a throwback uh, to not very far recent Ravens teams, but more of your 2019. 2020 kind of approach to a game i thought i thought lamar had several great throws especially on some big third down conversions he hit andrews a few times for some big ones hollywood had some great catches uh in there um but yeah i i just felt like they took what the Chargers gave them which was plenty of room to run and uh stuck with it and especially too tim you mentioned they did kind of stall out a little bit i think late in the in in the in the first half there um they really had a chance to i i I thought shut the door in the first half uh, and, and just slam it shut. But, you know, they get sacked, as you said, after uh, one of the many Chargers fourth down attempts, which I'm sure we'll get more into uh, in a minute. They go up 17 nothing, but there was a big sack right on first down um, by Linville Joseph. That kind of derailed that whole drive. And, yeah. and then from there, you know, they settle for three, and then they have the, the sacks that kind of prevent them from scoring, and Lamar throws the pick. And so 17-6, and you're like... Well, it, it was a really good half, but you could be up more. But coming out of the half and just that that drive out of the first half um, or out of halftime, I thought was so impressive and so reminiscent of just like what we got used to, I think, with the 2020 and, and uh, you know, 2019 Ravens teams. A 12-play, 52-yard drive, 721 off the clock to get the ball out of halftime. You, you, you know, you take up half the quarter – and you go up 24 to 6. That was just so impressive to me. And I was really pleased with that. And I think what made it even more kind of, you know, pleasant <laughs> as a viewing experience was you could argue, I guess, that even in the first half, they might have gotten a little too cute, trying to pass a little too much with how much they were gouging the Chargers with the run. But, you know, they got back to the run heavy in that second half. Um, or that drive out of halftime and they just, you know, slowly went down the field and I think it really put the game away. So I was just very impressed um, by, they didn't get too crazy. They didn't do anything fancy, but they just were consistent and they got, you know, these long drives. Their first scoring drive was another long one, 639, 90 yards. Um, it was just really impressive. So I, I love to see it. I, I, you know, we love when Lamar sets franchise records for passing yards, but as Tim said, it was great that they he didn't have to do it all. He just took what they gave him, and they got a big W because they didn't you know get too complex with it. I mean, it's the most, and before you go, Antonio, it's the most 2019 Ravens we've seen since 2019. Let's have let's have more of that. That was one of the most yeah the postseason stress free seasons of our every game. Seemingly was the Ravens up 17 with the ball and just destroying time of possession. Jace, on that drive that you mentioned coming out of halftime, three third down conversions, nope, there was one play that was for 11 yards, everything else was under 10 yards per play, so just that slow, methodical, take what they give you, get five, get six, convert to short third downs, and you end up with, with six, that is the 2019 Ravens, uh, and it was lovely to see that. Tim, I wanted to add one thing about the offensive line, Bozeman, the center hurt for a stretch there, comes out. I was wondering if they were going to move Makari from right tackle to center, and instead they go with Tristan Colon-Castillo. One, it, you know, if he snapped, but then after that he looked okay, and then Bozeman came back in. So I thought it was interesting that they kept Makari at right tackle, maybe more of a need to keep him there as opposed to uh, having depth at center. Well, yeah, it shows, one, it shows the lack of depth, and it's something that we've talked about. We don't have to hammer home today on this podcast, but I, I thought the same thing. You know, I, I was sitting in, the, I was at 
Don't Know Tavern, no free ads, but shout out. I love Don't Know Tavern and Fed Hill. Uh, with a couple buddies, and as soon as that happened, Nerd Tim just turned on and went, oh yeah, they're definitely going to slide Makari to right tackle. Tyree Phillips is back. I, he just came off the IR. I assume they're going to move Tyree Phillips to right. Although, they clearly like him as a guard and not as a tackle, and trust me, me too. Uh, but they bring in Tristan Colon Castillo, and like you said, I thought he played admirably well for what he had to do. That being said, I want Bozeman there uh, if needed. And we should mention, you know, we record this on Monday. As we record, right beforehand, actually, the Ravens have added uh, former Cowboys offensive tackle Brandon Knight, who started nine games for them last year. He was just cut. Backup guy, but a depth piece for them in case that happens again. Um, And on that, too, you know, it... It's not going to translate into podcasts. I'm not going to do this to people's ears. I want to knock on all of the wood in my apartment. When I say Makari has been serviceable at right tackle, he has been, he's a smaller guy. He's gotten taken advantage of by some of the more elite pass rushers in the league. But like, you know, what are you going to expect from a guy, a center playing right tackle? It's a completely different position, but yeah, I, I was overall, you know, even when they had the, the, the setbacks like the Bozeman injury, I thought they performed incredibly well outside of, you know, a few small moments. Another guy we need to speak of or speak about. First game, rookie debut, Rashad Bateman. Thoughts on his performance in his first game? I was excited. <laughs> uh, I loved what I saw. You know, the numbers don't jump off the page necessarily. Uh he has four catches, 29 yards. The long was 11. But all four of his catches became first downs, which is great. You know, we kind of we, we kind of talked, I think, in the offseason. Like, this is what we need from this team. Um, and, you know, he had the one unfortunate moment late. Uh, ball um, off his hands uh, that um, could have been another for a fifth first down. But... Uh, <laughs> off his hands becomes Lamar's second pick of the day. Uh, not Lamar's fault. Incredible diving interception. Uh, but the game was so far in hand, it didn't really matter. And I'll just chalk that up for a, a rookie moment. But um, yeah, it, I was I was just uh, so so uh, pleased with his performance. Um, like you can't, I think, argue with it. Yeah, I, for the the thing that, and you know. The amount of just Batman signal, call Jim Gordon, get get the signal up. I just want him to be good so we can just put all the Batman motifs into any sort of Ravens game day production. I'm I'm all here for the Dark Knight, Rashad Bateman slash Batman, uh, being a receiver for the Ravens. The thing with Harbaugh even said in his Monday press conference, he was not supposed to play that many uh, plays in this game. I think it was around 45 is what he ended up playing, uh, 45 snaps on the offense. He was... So good and so impressive to this Ravens coaching staff that they just kept him in there. And my God, that is exciting. And Jace, you, you nail it too. Like it, it doesn't come off the page, but you know what the guy did was move the effing chains. Third and four, second and seven. You know, even sometimes maybe there was a first and 10 in there if, if needed. He's across the middle. He's making the tough catches. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt on the drop. You know, it came late. It came in not a big moment. Let's hope that doesn't happen (laughs) in in a really important spot. (laughs) Let's not make it a trend. He'll figure it out. Um, Yeah, I was 
incredibly impressed with him. A big body wide receiver who moves the chains. Uh, yeah, yes, please. Sign me up. Exactly what you need. An- another Mark Andrews type for you where you have another guy you can go to in those cru- crucial situations uh, and leaves more room for those guys. Leaves more. If you have to worry about him and you have to worry about Sammy Watkins when he comes back, you have to worry about the speed of Devin Duvalnay. You have to worry about Mark Andrews across the middle. You have to worry about Marquise Brown blowing the top off of a team if he can catch the ball. And there was another drop today. He's still in heaven. It's fine. He's, we haven't moved him back down to purgatory, <laughs> but there was a drop. That core is a good core. And look, I don't want to get super excited about Bateman yet. We'll, 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 temper our expectations but frankly when we were talking about him when he got injured right what we said at the beginning of that podcast and that was the big news of of the day for the ravens for for pod like a raven here i said anything you get from him this season is a bonus because the injury getting up to game speed trying to figure all that stuff out he has blown that out of the water already in one week with the amount that he contributed and the fact that the coaches trusted him to stay on the field for that long. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say the sky's the limit hall of fame or anything, but it is really nice to have another seemingly reliable piece in this Ravens offense. We would love to see him then him and the rest of the Ravens offense take that next step and just continue this uh, offensive potential offensive juggernaut as, as the season continues defensively. Now, now we have some fun, some fun stuff to talk about. Oh my Let's goodness, go. the Ravens' defense dominated the Chargers. Uh, you know, it's a, I, I can't remember if we actually mentioned it. We must have the 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 cliche of a West Coast team traveling east and how it's, it's a struggle for them. They play what feels to them like ten o'clock in the morning. The Chargers looked like a team in the first half that were playing a football game offensively at ten o'clock in the morning. They missed th- Herbert missed easy throws. They had miscommunications on a bunch of different routes. They seemed to be miscommunicating in terms of picking up the Ravens' blitzers. It was super sloppy. Uh, so, guys, I, I turn to you now. With was this the perfect sort of uh, takey question here? Was this uh, the Chargers just looking like a mess, or was this the Ravens figuring some stuff out, bringing the aggression, uh, and finally having one of the one of their best games of the season? Oh, I think it's definitely, well, I, I I see your point. I think you can't discount that the Chargers definitely were off. Like, Herbert just missed some throws. Like, straight up, just missed. But um, I think the Ravens definitely figured a, a number of things out. I'm trying to uh, pull, pull a quote here. Oh, here it is. Is this via Jeff Zarebeck uh, from Justin Herbert um, talking about what the Ravens were doing on defense? And he had to say, It was a lot of looks that we didn't see on film and stuff they constructed for us. They did a great job of disguising their looks, bringing pressure from one way and hiding from another. It was looks they hadn't shown all season and stuff that you know we have to be better at to adjust to during the game. But you know, they played a great game. So, you know, I think that has to credit Wink Martindale. We bet on him a little bit, but he clearly had an A++ game plan for this one because... You know, I think you saw, like, just some of the, I mean, really right away off the jump, the, you know, Chuck Clark knocking that pass down uh, when they tried to hit that screen on, on the Chargers' very first series. Like, that's not a, uh, you know, Herbert's not expecting Chuck Clark to be there. That's why he kind of blindly throws that ball that direction uh, off the quick snap. And just, he, there was a number of, like, corner sacks slash QB hits. Uh, Deshaun Elliott got in on one. Tavon Young was in on a few. Um, they just had a really good game plan, and I felt they, they got great pressure on them and kind of kept them off balance, and they never got rhythm going, and to your point, I think part of that's, you know, 
just the Chargers themselves now they've gotten rhythm, but I think the Ravens kept them from getting in rhythm. And, you know, I don't know entirely who's to, to credit for all this. It's certainly Wink Martindale's a big piece, but I have to say uh, they've, uh, you know, I think the guys kind of credited Josh Bynes a bit for some of the pre-snap communication things they said. Uh, their, their, their pre-snap communication was a lot better, and one of the biggest changes on that is he played and Deshaun Elliott played um, his return from injury, and I thought he had a great game. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's a, a kind of all-around group effort. I think they were better at communicating. I think they had an awesome plan, and, yeah, they just didn't let the Chargers get anything going. It was really shocking, especially what we've seen the Chargers do on offense this year, which was pretty much whatever they wanted at will. And especially like their fourth down conversions were crazy. I'm sure we'll get more into that in a second, but yeah, it was just really, I think impressive from what the Ravens did, especially considering they'd not been good this season. So to put this together was great to see. Yeah. You nailed a number of aspects of it. I think Wink deserves a lot of credit for changing things up, especially here. And Justin Herbert said that Uh, in his short career, Justin Herbert has dominated the national football league. And he did not dominate the Baltimore Ravens. The Baltimore Ravens dominated him. He was rattled the entire game. He looked like Kyle Bowler happy feet out there all the time. It was, it was pathetic. I want to give, I want to give credit to Mark, uh, excuse me, Marlon Humphrey on the fourth down conversions. And you know, you're throwing at Marlon Humphrey. You come at the King. You best not miss Omar, but those are bad throws. Both of those throws were bad throws that would have been converted. Maybe Marlon makes a play on the ball, what have you. Uh, this comes from Ken McCuskick, who you don't know, at Film Study Ravens. A very, very smart man when it comes to breaking down the finer details of, the, of this game that we love talking about. Uh, basically, he just broke down when, when Herbert had time in the pocket, which is about three seconds. He was 11 of 15. When he had to get the ball out quick on a quick read, he was 7 of 9. When he was pressured within three seconds... 4 of 15 for a net 25 yards and two sacks. Wink, what do you want to do? Send the blitz. (laughs) And Wink got back to his roots, and he did what worked. Now, all credit to that. I I think you nailed the Josh Bynes point. Put that guy in the ring of honor for the amount of times he's come back and stabilized (laughs) the defense at this point. And making the game winning, or not the game winning, but the final tackle in the second Super Bowl. Never forget. The tackling was so much better than we have ever seen from the earth that we have seen, excuse me, from this team this season. Not ever. Ray Lewis and Ed Reed <laughs> play for this team. My God. Using your arms, not just trying to hit guys with shoulders, flying to the football. This team was pissed off. They were mean. They were mad. And they were up for this over and over and over again. They heard all the Herbert BS. They heard about Brandon Staley being this legendary coach. They heard that there's a new king of the AFC. Here come the L.A. Chargers. And the Ravens defense took severe offense to that. And you could see it for 60 minutes. I Schemes aside, sure, you want to break down the X's and O's, that's fine. I loved how effing angry this Ravens defense was. You look at Marlon Humphrey on the first fourth down that he kind of breaks the play up. If it was, if we were playing the Tom Brady Patriots, they would have called uh, DPI because you know that's just how the league goes. Conspiracy theories, all you want. Marlon makes a play on the ball. He's physical with Mike Williams, the receiver. It, it, there's no, it's they don't convert it, and Marlon is screaming 
at the top of his lungs, Deshaun Elliott comes over, who's got to be one of the best hype men in the NFL. That guy, I love Deshaun Elliott so much. He's, he's rising up the ranks of the jersey, uh, the jersey purchase here very soon because he's an effing missile coming out of the defensive backfield. Marlon concusses him, I think, with the headbutt afterwards. They slam into each other because they are so jacked up on adrenaline and wanting to prove themselves. And it, and it, was, and it was a discipline thing, too. It wasn't just trying to knock guys out with shoulders. It wasn't going for the hit stick. It was solid, solid tackling all the way around. The Josh Bynes play on a, on a third down, I, I think it was Jared Cook uh, coming across the middle. He kind of tries to bobble the ball, and he would have been able to bring it back in. Josh Bynes says, no, you touched it, you're coming with me, and basically puts all his body weight down to drag him back to make sure that his arms can't reach the football. It was an incredible defensive performance. Is it a one-off? Yeah, that makes me a little bit nervous. But on Sunday, I thought the discipline tackling, the aggression, and like like Jay said, the play calling was a perfect combination and and made that defense formidable again. And just uh Lamar I I I love Lamar. I love him, and this is not a slight to him. Nothing warms my heart more than watching that defense fly around the football. Lamar could throw for 700 yards, rush for eight, and have seven touchdowns. For me, watching a defense stifle a good quarterback like that with the bank just and like just losing their minds in there. Oh my! It just there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Oh man, there were so many fantastic sound effects in that in that one <laughs> breakdown, Tim. Uh, the Sorry. first of all, that radio noise was. Uh, Fantastic! Like it's not, that's not a sound effect we have on here uh, for the listener. That was just Tim doing that noise to for the radio to wink. I cannot agree more with you about the tackling. I don't really understand because how does this come one week as opposed to the other week? Are the Chargers soft? Are the Colts impossible to bring down? Are they just stronger? <laughs> Is it just uh, having binds in the starting lineup? Is it having Deshaun Elliott in this back in the starting lineup after an injury? May it continue. May Elliott stay on the field because he. I, I think his intensity yeah. impacts their tackling. He has a couple of hits, and all of a sudden, the rest of the defense is, is flying around, as you as you mentioned. Um, Jace, anything else uh, on the defense as we as we move along here? Well, just uh, we have to mention that I think their totals because we were we were so fearful. And the first play of the game for the Chargers is Keenan Allen across the middle on a slant with Anthony Averett trailing in coverage, and I was like. Oh no, (laughs) it's going to be one of those days, but they really clamped down on him. You know, they, him and Mike Williams, just not a lot going on in the air. Keenan Allen had five catches for 50 yards and Mike Williams only had two for 27. So basically set up their one touchdown, but like that came on a short field after we mentioned the one, the one bad play the offense had, I'd say on the day, but um, yeah, they just locked those guys down. And uh, I mean, I want to give a little shout-out, I guess, mini shout-out to Anthony Averitt. I thought he was, you know, they still tried to pick on him much more than I think other Ravens corners, but he was much improved from, you know, what we saw last Monday. So, um, yeah, credit to him for that, for an improved performance. Yeah, I was just I was just so pleased uh, with the defense. As Tim said, it's awesome that we love Lamar, but the Ravens are, uh, you know, we have about 23 years of being a defense-first football team before Lamar got to town, so... It's in our DNA. We love it, and uh, yeah, I I get so excited for good defense. It's uh, to to paraphrase Nick Saban. It's what I want football to be. So, <laughs> um, I, I it was just it was beautiful. It was a beautiful display, and as we said, contributed to 
the the most surprising result of the season and the the best watch uh, I'd say for for the Ravens uh, to date. Jimmy Smith also with a couple of nice plays. I'm very much liking him as just like a matchup guy against the other team's mm-hmm. tallest receiver in a couple <laughs> of spots. Uh, had a nice uh, break, uh, you know, breakdown on the deep ball without committing uh, defensive pass interference, which is all, all that we want to see. Uh, I do want to. I think I forgot to mention this. Deshaun Elliott tackles, sack, and interception all in one game. Just the full defensive performance from him. I have one other thing that I want to bring up, and this is just uh, about the coaching, because last week we specifically gave uh, the Chargers head coach Brandon Staley a shout-out that he was sort of this future futuristic coach, said a lot of good things, was all over the analytics, it was going to be him versus Harbaugh, and I thought he had a couple of very questionable decisions or moves in this game that, that I want to talk to you guys about, Con- convince me that I'm wrong, maybe, Uh he throws a challenge flag on what is a first down catch where maybe he's two inches short of the first down marker, but they are never overturning that type of call, and he loses the challenge. It was in the first half on, on a third and five, something like that, which would have created, at best, a fourth and inches that the Ravens are probably going for. Uh, instead, he loses a challenge and, and, and a call that just absolutely never gets overturned in that situation. And then the two fourth down decisions. Uh, fourth and three from their own 39-yard line. I get it. You're kind of near midfield. But it's not fourth and inches. It's not fourth and one. It's fourth and three. And that sort of extends. They did not run the ball because a few too many yards to gain. Were forced into a passing situation and then didn't convert. I mean, obviously it looks better if you convert. But fourth and three seemed a little too long for me based on, on where they were on the field. And then fourth and one from their own 19-yard line in the middle of the third quarter when they were down three scores. To me, was pure desperation. That's a, a move in the middle of the fourth quarter when you're down three scores, not in the middle of the third quarter. Uh, we're not able to get that. And, and the Ravens took the ball over on downs again. And the Ravens, on those two drives, or on those two you know, uh, turnover on downs, had a combined two yards gained. Uh, on their resulting drives, and still added six points purely on the field position. Uh, I, I turn to you guys now. Convince me that that was just Staley being an analytics guy, and, and I'm not as much of an analytics guy, and they should have been going for it on fourth down in both of those instances. I think, see, this is an interesting conversation, because I think you kind of live by the analytics and die by the analytics, right? Chiefs game, week two with the Ravens. They don't make that fourth down. We wouldn't do it here, but there are some in Ravens Nation questioning why they actually went for it on that fourth down, right? The, the one to seal the game, give, not give Mahomes the ball back, all that stuff. Although, maybe you just give him the ball because he loves throwing picks nowadays, but we'll get to that later. Um, I think if you're a Chargers fan, you're okay with what happened because you know that Brandon Staley, one, trusts his guys to try and make these plays. He trusts Justin Herbert to try and make these plays. Again, two of these fourth downs, as I mentioned before, should have been converted. Herbert missed the throws. It was not, I mean, it was pressure. They got pressure to him, and that's clearly, as we showed the stats before, that's what screwed him up. But I think for an L.A. Chargers fan with a talented team like they have and a quarterback like they do who had an off day, I, I, you know, I don't think we're all you know, getting rid of our Justin Herbert stock now after what happened on Sunday. 
I think you're okay with what happened. The desperation stuff, I mean, at that point, you, I would kind of rather my coach go for it and say, screw it, we need this now if, we're, if we have any chance in this game, rather than just punting it away to a team who's been running it down your throat over and over and over again during the game. But analytics as a whole, I think, is a problem. And, you know, don't pull that headline out because it sounds hot takey. But I think there are some teams in the NFL who look at the numbers and you have guys on these staffs. You know, we talked about it two years ago when Johnny, Johnny Analytics Harbaugh became who he is, that he hired some young, like, mid-20s kid to run all the numbers for him. And then all of a sudden, John wasn't football guy anymore. He was smart stats guy. And I think Harbaugh's the perfect combination of both because he has that gut feeling he is clearly old school football. We know that. But he has he is willing to listen to these stats. I think what happens when you get with some teams who have just seen the Brandon Staley's and before that the John Harbaugh's and the Ravens and before that the Kansas City Chiefs going for every fourth down when it's fourth and one, fourth and two because they have Patrick Mahomes, think they can do it. But they have Jared Koff and the Lions offense. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it doesn't work the same for every single team. And I think some teams are going to get destroyed in games because of it. Because they're like, oh, well, the numbers tell us this. Yeah, but the numbers tell you that the conversion rate is this good when you have Lamar Jackson under center. Not when you have, yeah, I'll say it, Baker Mayfield under center. <laughs> like, not when you have a average to below average quarterback the Andy Dalton line of quarterbacks guiding your offense or an offensive line that struggles or a bad play caller like or or I believe in momentum or the momentum of the game is not in your favor I know people hate that but I that's something that I've watched enough football to have the sinking feeling of oh this is this is turning against us or oh we're starting to build something here you can feel the crowd behind you you can feel that all that stuff matters so you know, to wrap it in a bow, if I'm a Chargers fan, yeah, in the heat of the moment, maybe you're complaining. Maybe Monday morning radio, you're complaining about it. But in the long run, you'd rather have Brandon Staley making those kind of calls than not. But if I'm a fan of one of these bad teams doing this over and over again, I'm like, what the hell are we doing? Like, this is just we're burying ourselves before we even have a fighting chance. I kind of uh, I agree with you, Tim. In the moment, I did mostly hate these calls <laughs> to go for it. I would not have loved uh, if the Ravens did this. Um, for what Antonio said, the Ravens did nothing on the ensuing offensive possessions when they, like, especially that first one in the first half, you know, they go for it. It's only 14 nothing. It's still pretty early. And, you know, I guess I was a little more okay with that one because you're at the 39. You're not quite as... The 19 was a little crazy to me. But uh, the, the, the one on the 39, I kind of get it. But at the same time, and especially, you know, you're c coming into this game, the Chargers were perfect on fourth downs uh, attempts, conversion attempts coming into this game on the season. Uh, I believe the number was seven for seven uh, entering uh, Sunday. So I, I understand you have faith in it, but it, it did seem to me like panicking a little too early. You know, you, you go from 14 nothing to 17 nothing basically because you don't get a first down. And then the, especially the fourth one at the 19, that was a total... Uh, to me, it screamed, I have no faith in our team to win this game. But then in hindsight, I'm like, well, maybe he was right to go for it because in the end, his team had no chance to win this game because they couldn't stop, you know, the Ravens offense in any meaningful way. So that's where I kind of leave it feeling like kind of to Tim's point. I didn't love it in the moment, but I think the overall thought process for the Chargers is okay. Just because, like, 
I, you know, Brand Staley's a really smart guy. He's, you know, he's only 38, but he obviously has a lot, way, way, way more football knowledge than, you know, 99.99% of the people on the planet. And so, you know, I was okay. Like, he probably can sense that, uh-oh, we do not have it today sooner than the rest of us, perhaps. But in the moment, I thought he was panicking early. But, you know, maybe in hindsight, he did see the trend where this game was, you know, heading after those first two drives where, you know, the Ravens really did march down the field. We mentioned it was a six-minute drive, 6.39, and then another five-minute drive, touchdown. That one coming uh, 74-yard drive. So 90 yards and 74 yards. I guess yeah, I could see where you're like, all right, well, they're just running right through us, so we have to go for it. But I thought it was just a tad too aggressive. But maybe, again, that's just me fearing Eddie uh, guarding myself over potential Ravens collapse. I'm like, I always think we could blow a 14-point lead instantly. But uh, Oh, we can. Yeah. We can. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I wasn't a huge fan in the moment. I thought he kind of panicked a little early. But, you know, it might have been the right call because, yeah, they, the Ravens, they had no answers for the Ravens' offense. Well, Jace, I mean, that's that's the biggest thing. I think in in the context of this game, I think it might have been Brandon Staley, defensive mastermind, looked and was like, oh, yeah, my defense stinks. They are very, very bad. Devontae Freeman is tearing up this defense right now. Le'Veon Bell just scored a touchdown. What the hell is going on? And he thought, yeah, you know what? Maybe I have to change something. Le'Veon Bell just walked in. Walked into the end zone to, to score his first <laughs> touchdown as a Raven on a play where we've been, we sort of joke around uh, at Miles Boykin's expense a lot. So I want to give him a little bit of props. Mm-hmm. I uh, I invite the listener to rewatch the Le'Veon Bell touchdown run, and he walks in because Miles Boykin, the wide receiver, knocks over two different Charger linebackers on one play to seal the right side of the line. So. Props to Miles Boykin. That is how you stick uh, on a on a football team that has a lot of depth ahead of you uh, at wide receivers. That you're able to do that on this type of team that needs blocking from the wide receivers. Uh, guys, anything else from this Chargers game before we move on? It, it was such a sweet one. So any final uh, final parts? I have one final thing, and I mentioned this last week when we were talking about making predictions. Remember, everybody talked about the Rams. And then everybody talked about the Cardinals. And then everybody talked about the Chargers after their win against Cleveland. As I was working on Monday morning, I flip on the TV and thank Christ I work in radio, so that means I have to mute it. So I don't have to listen to anybody talk, but I just see the pictures, which, trust me, is the better way to watch ESPN nowadays. (laughs) It's all Ravens. It is all Ravens. Baltimore Ravens, are they the best team in the AFC? Is this the team to challenge? It's just a warning. We'll talk about the preview here in just a bit. I hate it. Lamar came out and said after the game, we don't want to be considered that. Everybody who was talking about us before, keep that same energy. That's where we like to be. God bless that man. He already knows the psyche of the city of Baltimore and the respective Ravens fans because that's exactly where we like it to. It is a, I understand this is a completely crazy Tim theory, a CTT, but it is something to worry about going forward, I I imagine. It was definitely funny to watch Harbaugh try to downplay how significant uh, a butt kicking this was. Uh, How they just kicked the crap out of the Chargers, who everybody spent the last week Destroyed one of the best teams in the NFL, and him and Lamar to, you know, both of their credit, I suppose. It's the mentality you want to have, but, you know, it's all 
a lot of things to work on, a lot to improve, and it's it's true. I think the Ravens' offense actually did leave some points on the board. We mentioned Hollywood potentially, maybe we should have had a touchdown, perhaps, and uh, you know, the, as we said, after these fourth downs, they weren't able to get touchdowns out of those drives. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know how much more there is to work on if you just beat one of the best teams in the NFL, thirty-four to six. Seems like you're playing pretty well. But I like I appreciate the mentality, but I completely agree with Tim. Uh, everyone is talking about the Ravens today, and I do not like that. <laughs> one uh, well, I'll use that as a pivot because there's a tiny bit of good news, uh, and that is hopefully that the media should be talking about the Arizona Cardinals because they're still undefeated. They're six and zero, and they just laid the smackdown on uh, AFC North rival in the Cleveland Browns, thirty-seven to fourteen. As we turn now to talk about the NFL. A 37-14 that really should have been a 37-7 with the Browns getting a legitimate Hail Mary uh, in all senses of, like, the prayer and the miracle uh, just before halftime to make it seem like a closer game than it was. Tim, I I turn to you for this opportunity. Uh, Are are the Browns not who we thought they were? Are the Browns in trouble here? (laughs) Three and three on the season. Or, Or is Arizona going to be a force to be reckoned with for the rest of the season? Uh, I'll answer it this way. The Browns are not who people thought they were. The Browns are exactly who I thought they were. <laughs> that they're three and three. They're a fine football team. They got a load of talent with a bad quarterback. You know what that gets you? Average. Bang effing average. This team stinks. And guess what? The Arizona Cardinals are good. Credit to them. We didn't want to I didn't want to believe in them for a long time. Kyler Murray. We're talking in three years, he's probably the best quarterback in the National Football League. That guy is insane. Arm talent, Lamar, Lamar-like. I'm not going to say Lamar-same, Lamar-like. This is a biased podcast, mind you. Lamar-like escapability with incredible arm talent. You know, just reads the game very well. Super fun to watch. He's up there in terms of the most, uh, like, like fun guys that you always want to turn on. Uh, and, and draft in fantasy because you have to, like, have a vested interest in Kyler. Um, but, yeah, I just... I know there were injuries. I know Nick Chubb, who is probably, for anybody's money, one of the best, if not the best, running back in the National Football League was out. That's fine. Kareem Hunt goes down with an injury. Baker clearly suffered something. So, yeah, there was issues. But this Browns team, are people just not going to get that this is Cleveland and they're not allowed to have nice things? Until Art Modell goes in the Hall of Fame, which won't happen because people are just incredibly vindictive about the entire situation. They are not allowed to have nice things. It's the curse of the Modell. That's what it is. I'm calling it right now. And I'm sorry. This team is fine. The defense is okay. There are pieces there. But they got eviscerated. Like you said, Antonio, if it wasn't for this just one terribly defended Hail Mary, which is what, the second in two weeks that we've seen now, or second in three weeks at least, with the one whenever the New Orleans was a couple weeks ago. It would have been a 37-7 shellacking, an absolute beatdown. And I I don't know, Jace, I turn to you. Clearly, my Ravens is showing, and I know that, and that's fine. That's why the people listen to this podcast. Yeah, (laughs) family show. (laughs) Is it Cardinals being good? Is it Browns being, and I won't say bad because I know you're not going to say they're bad, is it Browns being just a fine football team and not this Super Bowl contender in Cleveland like we had to hear over and over and over again? Yeah, I think when it comes down to the Browns, it's it's Baker. It's Baker. It's They come and go. Baker sucks. <laughs> Baker sucks. 
I mean, he had some doozies in this game. <laughs> His first fumble legitimately made me laugh out loud. I texted uh, the group thread about it. He like, the, so the Cardinals or the, the Browns are, they are banged up. As Tim mentioned, Nick Chubb's out um, and Kareem Hunt gets hurt late in this game. They're missing Landry's both of their starting tackles. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're, uh, Jack Conklin and uh, Jedrick Wills both out for this game. So that's not great. It's never good when you're both your your very good tackles aren't in the game. But OBJ is back, which is a detriment. <laughs> yes, yeah. Jarvis Landry, I do not believe played since we all know, as we, as we've established on this podcast, he is their better wide receiver. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean Baker just had this like, and they had like a turnover on downs that then the Cardinals turned into points, and Baker threw a horrible pick. But he had a fumble like. I forget who it was on the Cardinals. Because we should also say the Cardinals, uh, Chandler Jones did not play in this game after testing positive for COVID, and nor did their head coach, uh, patro- who calls their plays, patrol the sideline. Someone named Spencer Whipple, who is the Cardinals' assistant wide receivers coach, they just gave him play calling duties for some reason. <laughs> and he called their plays for this 37 to 14 beat down. So it's not like the Cardinals weren't shorthanded either. But uh, so that was, I think, even more impressive from their side. Like, it seems like you should miss your coach a little more uh, on the road and a tough place to play. But they didn't miss a beat. But on this one Baker fumble... Like the the Browns right tackle just got torched off the edge, and Baker made like a nice move to get away, and then like seemingly like just forgot that guy was back there, and like instead of like throw on the run to throw it away, he tried to like plant, and then like realized he didn't have time to throw, so then he just kind of stood there, and the guy like nailed him in the back, and he just fumbled. It was like it was very comical to watch. It looked like he had no like, and Baker's doing the thing. He's like turning all directions. He just like panicked instantly, and you're like, oh gosh, you're like, like as a neutral fan, you're watching this. I'm watching it on Red Zone, and I'm like, something bad's going to happen here. Like, there's a lot of panicking happening, and sure enough, he puts it on the ground. It was just a very funny turnover, and I think that's just like the defining thing with Baker is it's like because he can look really good, but he also just makes these stupid mistakes sometimes, and. I think as a Browns fan, it would be so frustrating because he's clearly better than like any QB they've had since they relaunched, you know, Browns 2.0 in 99, right? But is he good enough to take a roster that I think is pretty good top to bottom everywhere else to the Super Bowl? I don't think so. But yeah, I'd I'd be so sad if I was a Browns fan, especially we'll get to them because we play them this week. I think the other team in Ohio has the better quarterback uh, between the two Ohio teams. So, oh my God, yeah, it's not even close. <laughs> so yeah, so um, yeah, long-winded answer, but the Browns, I think, <laughs> if Baker's good, they'll look great, and then he'll put the ball like he had three turnovers in this game, uh, including the one as uh, uh, Tim mentioned, or perhaps you mentioned Antonio, where he re-injures his shoulder. Um, that, that his uh, non-throwing shoulder, but his arms in a sling post game, and they're supposed to play on Thursday night. So, who knows? The Browns are suddenly three and three, and you know, uh, you, you don't like to celebrate injuries, obviously. But the Browns' misfortune has turned into a two-game lead. Well, no, two-game lead over the Browns and the Steelers uh, for the Ravens. So that's certainly nice. Uh, I would say elsewhere in the AFC North. Uh... We, as, as Jace mentioned, we're going to talk about the Bengals more later in this episode, but uh, they crushed Detroit in the Battle of the Big Cats, and then uh, 
the Steelers taking the Sunday night game oh my God. against the <laughs> Russell Wilsonless Seahawks in a game that somebody had to win, uh, I suppose. Uh, well, I thought we were going to tie for a while, for a hot minute there. <laughs> uh, the Steelers winning that 23-20. to Pittsburgh somehow 3-3 three and three on the season in one of the oddest years for them, certainly. They beat the Bills week one. Uh, they beat the Bills week one, and they're 3-3 three and three after losing all kinds of ugly games. And they play the Browns uh, in two weeks, I believe. Looks like they have a bye, the Steelers, and then they will play the Browns. So that will be a fascinating matchup of what maybe are just mediocre football teams in the AFC North. Uh, elsewhere in the NFL, there's a game we have to talk about. Uh, and that happened in the afternoon, and that's Dallas against New England. A lot of texts in in the thread <laughs> sent because of this game where there was sort of every other series there was more and more buffoonery and things that shouldn't be happening and mistakes being made <laughs> compounded by mistakes that the other team would then make right back. Jace, Dallas, New England, wh- who who did we learn? What what did we learn know more about? Which team do we know more about? What what happened in this game? That's a great question, Antonio. Uh, this game stunk for like most of the day, and then it just turned into like I think the single craziest game of the. Well, maybe not because there's been some. The Ravens, I think, have you're all, a Baltimore Ravens yeah, fan, Jace. Yeah, the hold Ravens on. Ravens have the three craziest games probably of the season, but uh, it, this was just a bonkers finish. Uh, so we have Mike McCarthy, uh, the legend, the OG, uh, attempt a uh, a 51 yard field goal. Uh, with the Cowboys down points, I, what was the score at that point? It was they were down one, two, um, and of course their kicker misses. Zerline just wildly misses it. Um, so so yes, this was uh, it was the New England was leading twenty one twenty, which New England goes up twenty one twenty with six twenty three to go, and there were then uh, th- three four more scores <laughs> in this game. Um, so, you know, he hooks it wildly. It looks like the Patriots are going to pull off some stupid New England crap, win this game 21-20. to 20. That At this point, they're getting outgained by, like, I, literally, like, 175 yards. Uh, the Pats are to this point. The Cowboys have dominated this game from a statistical standpoint. Uh, but, of course, they're trailing, and Mike McCarthy on a fourth-and-one attempts a 50-yard field goal that misses. But but no, it doesn't. The the story does not end there. Mac Jones throws a pick six <laughs> to Trevon Diggs, his seventh interception of the year. After saying this week he wasn't going to be afraid to throw in the direction uh, of Trevon Diggs, that did not work out for him. So now the Cowboys are up in front from sheer dumb luck. But then, like two plays later, Mac Jones, <laughs> seventy plus yard pass to Kendrick Bourne. It was crazy. 75-yard pass. Off, off of Trayvon Diggs, who bit on the double move. Yeah, because he was uh, looking for the Diggs, uh, I saw a crazy stat that, like, Diggs is going to potentially lead the NFL in interceptions and also yards allowed in coverage. He's top, like, four <laughs> in allowing yards per PFF. So that's uh, that's incredible uh, on its own right. But, so, yeah, so the Cowboys get this pick six with 227 to go. Uh Patriots score with 211 to go to retake a lead and they hit the two point conversion to to go up 3. Uh um Greg Zerline hits a 49 yard field goal with 49 uh with 20 seconds to go. Uh that you know the Cowboys could have probably gotten closer or uh they just watched it miss a 51 yarder like 3 minutes before, but 
he hits it and then the Cowboys walk it off in overtime uh, on a very nice uh, play by CeeDee Lamb. He catches it. Jalen Mills shoves him out of bounds. He waves goodbye to him, which was delightful. Uh, and the Cowboys win to move to four, uh, five or five and one. The Patriots are now zero and four at home this year, which is shocking. They've never. Uh, this is obviously their worst start in the history of Gillette Stadium, which opened in two thousand two. Um, yeah, uh, so it, it was very strange. It's hard to know what to make of this game. I think the Cowboys' offense is obviously great. Dak Prescott's awesome. Um, and they just have so many weapons. I think Mike McCarthy is going to prevent this team from winning the Super Bowl that probably otherwise has the talent to, to, to potentially win or at least win the NFC. I feel like they'll find a way to, to not do that. Um, but yeah, I, it was basically, uh, Mike McCarthy, uh, holding his team back and the Cowboys winning it because they just have way more talent than the Patriots. But yeah, oh and four Patriots, uh, at Gillette two and four on the season. What a delight. Yeah, and then I and then I hear and I'll mention his name because everybody knows who he is. Bill Simmons say, "I don't know if their season's over yet." Yeah, well, might be time to wave goodbye yeah. there, Bill. Um, I think for me, quickly because you, you you ran down the game beautifully, Jace. I think for me, it, this proves that the Cowboys are good. The Cowboys of old lose this game. I they, and that's why I picked them in my picks last week. And as Antonio could mention of the the wild text between Jace and I going back and forth, it was Jace was like, "Tim, you called it." And I was like, well, I do picks for myself on Sunday mornings, and I actually flipped to the Cowboys, and now I'm worried. And then I was like, never a doubt! <laughs> I knew they were going to cover. It's fine. A great all-time cover by the Cowboys. Um, and the other thing that it proves, Jace, just to hammer it home, because you nailed it already, Mike McCarthy is going to lose this team in the, in the Super Bowl. Like, this team could make the Super Bowl. This team could challenge Tampa Bay in the NFC. They are that good. They are that talented. I think Trayvon Diggs is overrated because he gets a lot of picks. That number always fluctuates. You know what? The number that doesn't fluctuate is you giving up yards, which he gives up a lot of. So we'll see if that, you know, hopefully he can turn it around. Brother, obviously a Maryland guy. I'm rooting for him, and everybody knows my affiliation with the Cowboys if you listen to this podcast. So we'd like to see if he turns it around just a little bit. But the Cowboys are very, very good, but it's going to end in miserable failure <laughs> because of Mike McCarthy, not because they're the Cowboys, which is what usually happens. Um, before we end this NFL segment, because Antonio, I won't lie. When you said elsewhere in the NFL, I thought you were going to head across the pond to merry old London town. Elsewhere, elsewhere. Urban Meyer. D yeah, exactly. D time zones and everything. Where good old Urban Meyer, the man, uh, good family man, that Urban. We know him. We know him as that. <laughs> Got his first NFL win. He can actually win in Europe. Who knows if he can win in the United States of America? We have to find that out still. 23 to 20 against the Dolphins. I have two quick things here before we move on because we're not going to spend too much time on Dolphins, Jaguars in London. One, the Dolphins stink. What happened to that team? Brian Flores being this next great NFL coach, the one Belichick uh, assistant coach who's actually a good coach. We'll see. Some questionable decisions from Mr. Flores. Who knows what the deal with Tua is? I, I'm not going to sit here and say I still believe in Tua, but I think that Tua has an average career ahead of him. I don't think he's – that probably makes him a bust as the fifth overall pick, but I don't think he's going to be an absolute disaster. The one thing I do want to mention, compliment to the Jaguars here, because they were about to throw a Hail Mary, then Miami idiotically calls a timeout, and they run this play. They, they have like six seconds left on the clock, and instead of trying another Hail Mary, 
which every other team I've seen, every other team does this. They ran like a slant to gain nine yards. LaVisca Chenault immediately goes down, and because they have the timeout, they call a timeout with one second left. I thought it was, it's a play I've never seen before, and sitting there watching it, I was like, that was genius. They lined up like it was going to be a Hail Mary. Everybody in Miami dropped back. They run a quick little slant to get them in field goal range, and that's what wins them the game. So I'm not one to compliment Urban Meyer, especially with recent developments that have happened in the past couple of, what is it, a month or so. But I thought that play was 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 ingenious, frankly. And then, you know, other, side note, because now that I speak his name into existence, I have to talk about this. Urban Meyer on the sidelines is rising up the power rankings of things to watch on an NFL Sunday. <laughs> that man, my lord, he doesn't open his mouth. He doesn't coach. He doesn't coach the guys. He's constantly bent over. I don't even know if he's watching the game most of the time. He's usually looking the other direction, out the ground, up in the stands. Who knows what he's doing there, family show. It is like watching Kyler Murray on the field, watching Urban on the, on the sidelines. It is fascinating. So... If you find yourself, if Red Zone's on the second TV, and for God knows what reason they're putting the Jaguars on there, I hope you get a couple quick camera cuts to Urban Meyer because it's just it's remarkable to watch him. I can't even say coach. I'm just going to say stand there. Yeah, I don't. I still don't think he's long for the NFL. Uh, we've mentioned oh, no. USC. Uh, the LSU job opened over the weekend. I can imagine that might he might be a name of interest if you are LSU. Um, looking to replace Ed Orgeron, uh, after this season, um, which who knows, perhaps that's why they're letting Coach O coach out the rest of the season, because they have an NFL coach in mind they want to hire. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't think Herb is long for, uh, the NFL, but, you know, I'm happy for the Jaguars. They've lost 20 in a row, uh, entering Sunday, which was getting dangerously close to the expansion Buccaneers seemingly once untouchable record of uh, 26 straight losses uh, for the NFL record. Um, so no team deserves to lose that many games in a row. So, you know, always happy for the players and stuff. They work, they work hard, as hard as anyone else in the league. And to just lose 20 straight weeks is pretty tough. So, you know, I agree with you too, though, Tim. I think the Dolphins have to be one of the, if not the most disappointing teams in the NFL, certainly one of the most disappointing and a thing I forgot is they don't even have their first round pick um this season minor problem when you're one and four or one and five um you generally if you're if your record if you start out one and five you're generally trying to get a a top uh looking at a top 10 draft pick that it looks like will be changing hands uh, I believe to the Eagles so um yeah that's uh we kind of glossed over them. I do want to just circle back really quickly to the Ravens AFC North rival Steelers uh, to just say Ben Roethlisberger had one of the funniest fumbles I've ever seen in my life. Uh, I mentioned the Baker fumble, but the Ben one, uh, if anyone was stayed up late to watch this Sunday night, you got a very funny late Ben Roethlisberger fumble where he tried to throw the ball and it just didn't come out of his hand for whatever reason. And it then, wasn't like the typical Roethlisberger <laughs> pump fake that even fakes out the cameras and then just slipped out. Yeah, he just kind of, he like threw it, but then it never left his hand. He just kind of kept going and then kind of just dropped it on the ground uh, for a fumble. It was very funny. Uh, if you have a chance to go back and circle that. Uh, otherwise, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about the Steelers. The exact same team they've been every week. Uh, and, you know, who needs to beat a bet, uh, dead horse, I guess. But uh, 
their line stinks, Ben Roethlisberger stinks, and uh, their defense is good. And shocker that uh, the highest-paid defensive player in football was able to strip-sack Geno Smith. But congratulations, I guess, to TJ Watt. We have to celebrate him for uh, forcing a fumble on one of the most uh, turnover-prone QBs in recent NFL history. So good, good job by him, I guess, on that one. I want to make one last note on uh, on the Jaguars getting a win in London. I, I just said I can see the PR team furiously compiling all the the, the pamphlets that they're going to show when after the Jags don't win another game all season that actually they should be playing in London because that's the only city that they actually managed to win a game in. Uh, and this really is accelerating that eventual move. Uh, to England for for the Jacksonville Jaguars and maybe wins after they move out there. Four and four in London games since 2013 are the Jaguars, Antonio. Perfect, perfect. That's 500. Uh, That's way better than the Jags normally do. (laughs) Way better than what they do at home. Uh, All right, let's turn now to the random Raven before we preview the Ravens-Bengals game. And Tim, you are up this week. Yeah, um, I'm just going to apologize because this one is a doozy. Oh, boy. I I went through three different people I thought I was going to do until I looked at our list and said, oh, they have already been done. So uh, this is deep, deep in the Ravens record books here. And I have a bonus clue that I'm going to give you at the start as well, because uh, frankly, I know I would never get this guy. And if either of you do, you know, credit to you. So clue number one, this player won a Super Bowl with the Baltimore Ravens. Clue number two. He was drafted in the seventh round of the 2005 NFL draft and spent seven seasons in the NFC West with two different teams before wrapping up his career in Baltimore. Clue number three. In two seasons with the Ravens, he played in 14 games, but only started two. He finished his time in Baltimore with Two catches for 18 yards, and yes, he plays a pass-catching position. Two catches for 18 yards in two seasons, and yes, he plays a pass-catching position. Clue number four. He spent most of his career wearing the number 47, but when he moved to Baltimore, he took over Todd Heap's old number. Clue number five. His first and last name start with the same letter. Boom. <laughs> Boom. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I think I know it too. Oh my goodness. Wow. And I, I think I saw a video with this guy in it recently is like why I'm thinking of it for some reason. And the fact that I, I deal and, you know, I, I group myself in this category. Two incredibly nerdy Ravens fans. Maybe you're not listening to this. I'm going to give you this bonus clue basically because it tickles my, uh, just tickles my fancy here. I love this. There is so little about this player's time in Baltimore that Wikipedia was really stretching. Here's a direct quote. On the Ravens' first score of the season in the 2013 season opener, he went in motion prior to the snap, putting the entire opposing Broncos defense off guard and nearly single-handedly contributing Devontae Leach's touchdown. Who wrote? Did, he, did his mother write that sentence? I assume so. That is your random Raven. We're going to laugh about it here in about 20 minutes or so oh, after the preview. Single-handedly because... got a touchdown in the game. The <laughs> He's, he was such like a 25. weapon that everybody had to pay attention to his motion. Everybody was paying attention to this guy going in motion. 
that the fullback scored what people in a game remember, that yeah, the Ravens got blown out. Yeah, is that guy's motion and not Peyton Manning tying an NFL record with seven touchdowns in the game. Yeah. In wow. a game that should have been at home, but the Orioles wouldn't move. But there's a whole other discussion. Well, that is, that is fantastic. That is, the Tim, the definition of a random Raven. That is why we created this trivia game in Podlicker Raven, because they don't get much more random than this player. Uh, the number was what did it for me, because it was blasphemy to take Todd Heap's number. Uh, but we will, we will have you run through those at the end of the <laughs> episode. Time to talk about Ravens-Bengals, where at the beginning of the season... I think all of us would have been prepared and comfortable for a nice 1 p.m. relaxing win against Cincinnati. Bengals now 4-2, however. They are in second place in the AFC North. They've drafted some good players. They're building from the ground up. They have foundational pieces. Joe Burrow looks good. Can't speak for his voice or his throat after the the throat contusion that that he had that he was dealing with a few weeks ago. Uh, Jamar Chase has looked very, very good. He's going to be a problem. So we have a Cincinnati team coming to Baltimore at 4-2, and two, but their wins this season are against the Vikings at home. They beat the Steelers. They beat the Jaguars. They beat the Lions. So how good is this team? How, how much do we know about whether they have a few nice pieces and they're trying to build, or is this game going to be a nightmare and they are a legitimate threat for the AFC North? Um. Mm, so the very end of that sentence throws me off. I don't think they're a legitimate threat for the AFC North. I think they're a potential sneaky playoff team in an AFC that is not as good as people think. I think they have weapons that scare you. I think Jamar Chase is on pace to outpace, I should say. He is outpacing Justin Jefferson's rookie year from last year, his former LSU teammate, which if you remember... Justin Jefferson lit up the league as a rookie. Jamar Chase is doing better than that. Um, As a guy who everybody wanted them to take a tackle instead of, it seems like they made the right pick. Joe Burrow is clearly the second best quarterback in this division. And it's not close. It's Lamar, Joe Burrow, however you want to rank the other two, it doesn't matter because they both stink. I, and I'll throw this back to you guys, and simply... I am scared of the Cincinnati Bengals. I am scared of this game. I am scared of coming off a dominating defensive performance where maybe the foot comes off the gas a little bit because they're hearing about how great they are on the defensive side of the ball and they start missing tackles again. I am worried about Joe Burrow and how much I love Joe Burrow. I hate it. I hate how much moxie he has as a Bengals quarterback. I hate how... All the swagger he's got on their primetime game. He scores a touchdown, and he's on the sidelines just screaming, give me the damn ball. I'm going to do this. I'm going to score. I love that guy, and I hate that he plays. Like, I don't like Baker Mayfield. (laughs) I think Baker Mayfield stinks. I think his whole thing is a charade. I think the commercials after his bang average rookie year were a joke. And, frankly, the fact that Cleveland is cursed with him is the only thing I like about him. (laughs) I like Joe Burrow a lot, and... It sucks that we have to play him twice a year, and it sucks that he's for, playing for a team that could be a legitimate rival. So, yeah, for me, guys, and Antonio, I'll flip it back to you first before we get Jason's take. I'm scared of the Bengals. What about you? Yeah, the names are scary. 
But at home, I think we can do the same thing we did to Herbert, and he's not as good as, as Herbert at the moment. If we can blitz him, if we can scare their offensive line into mistakes, which they are still prone to, into confusion, into Deshaun Elliott coming off the edge, into Jason O.A. just bowling somebody over on his way to the quarterback. I st- Adafe. Oh, what, did I call him Jason? You did say Jason. Oh my goodness, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Uh, he, he's gotten all these sacks now, I don't know who he, who he is anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, if we can disrupt him in the pocket... Get sacks, get hits. I I think we had the same success that we had uh, against Herbert. The bank is going to be rocking. I I I don't know if it's a letdown situation. I I think that would have happened maybe this week after the miracle game against the Colts. They would have been out of gas from that comeback, and they would have come out flat uh, at a, in a one p.m. game. But instead, they had it was the opposite, right? They had all the energy and all the stout play. I think they're going to come out strong again. I think they've figured something out defensively as they are still moving players around, putting guys into different spots and doing different things. I envision pressure, pressure, pressure uh, on Burrow, and he's not able to, to make as many you know, great first down throws or the, the bombs to chase or something like that, uh, and, we, and we handle this game. Jace, what do you think? I'm definitely a little scared of this game. Um, I, I agree with you, though. I like that it's at home. I like that it'll be at a rock and bank, you know, last game before the bye week. I, I like to thank John Harbaugh. You know, he even said in his, his post game kind of remarks that they posted to their Twitter account. And, you know, they always edited them a little bit. But the, the part that they left in for us to view anyway was him talking about, you know, first game in the division. It's at home, how important those games are. So I think they'll be up for it. They've obviously generally handled the the Bengals in recent times. Uh, They've won every game Lamar started uh, in his career against them. And last year, uh, you mentioned the offensive line. It is worth noting uh, their line marginally improved, but still not great, I would say, um, based on some of the just hits and sacks and shots and ending up in the hospital for throat contusions that's occurred um, to Joe Burrow so far this season. Um, So, and it's worth uh, remembering last season in Baltimore was they sacked him in a crowdless environment seven times. Um, And I like the idea of maybe, maybe not getting quite equaling that number because I think maybe they're, they're (laughs) maybe not quite as prolific even as sacking. But uh, I like, I like the idea of getting some sacks, especially with the bank. It's going to be loud. Um, I think Bengals is a sneaky good rivalry with the Ravens. Uh, they've always annoyed me a lot over the years because of some of the torturous games. Just Carson Palmer seemed to own the Don't Ravens. Don't do it. Yeah, Don't the, do it. Uh, we won't mention certain events that occurred with Andy Dalton in the past. Um, but, yeah, so, and you mentioned the weapons. I mean, Jamar Chase is awesome. Uh, I, I love Burrow, too. I think he's great. Um, you know, some things questions about his arm strength from some of the, the quote people who know things on Twitter, but he seems to get the job done. And to, to your points, I think this is a good team. I, I know that, that maybe the wins aren't that impressive, but you can only play who they give you. And they've, the Bengals have been in every game. Like even the two, the two losses they have, they probably should have beaten the Packers, frankly, um, as many uh, chances as the Packers gave them to try to win that game. And uh, you know, they were, Really, the reason they lost to the Bears was, and you hope maybe the Ravens could replicate this, Burrow had that that weird stretch where he just threw interceptions on three straight passes, and that was kind of ultimately the difference in that Bears game. 
uh, that they lost. And, you know, Chicago on the road, never the easiest place to play. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely scared of the Bengals. And I think their defense has been underrated this year. Um, they're top ten in defense. Trey Hendrickson, um, who, you know, some people said was kind of a flash in the pan last year for sack output. Well, he has five and a half sacks uh, already this season. So, And he looked really good uh, against the Lions. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm scared at all phases. The Bengals are clearly improved, that, uh, significantly improved from where they've been the last few years, and I agree with you guys. I think this is going to be a team that competes for a playoff spot all year just based on their QB and the weapons they have. I mean, we mentioned Chase, but T. Higgins is good. Tyler Boyd has obviously killed the Ravens in the past. I think C.J. Uzama is a great tight end, or at least an underrated tight end. Um and Mixon has, you know, he, he can always go off. So I, I think there's real cause for concern. But as you mentioned, Antonio, I do, if the Ravens could do that to Herbert, there's no, almost no other Q, there's what, three other QBs maybe in the league that they can't rattle. But, uh, you know, Burrow, same age, same same draft class, actually older than, uh, famously older than Lamar Jackson, Joe Burrow, uh, lest we forget. But um you know, he's still a young QB, uh, and you can rattle young QBs, I think, especially in a rocking uh, environment with a lo- uh, Bengals uh, team whose line is probably, honestly, still their biggest weakness. So I, I, I like, uh, I still like the Ravens' chances, but I think it's going to be a fight all game. Tim, uh, you posed the question to us, so I'll, I'll turn it to you now. What are your thoughts on the Ravens offensively against, uh, against this Bengals' defense? Is it a uh, outscore them? Is it a... Run, 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 pound the rock, average five yards a carry. What is the the top, maybe top two things you're looking for from this offense this week? I mean, it's interesting because Jace mentioned it. If you look at the Bengals, they're only giving up uh, 90 and a half yards on the ground. They're only giving up uh, 240 yards through the air. It's a, it's a, it's a solid defensive unit. Um, you know, I, not to echo Jace too much, I think this is a scrap, and maybe I'm maybe I'm spoiling my pick a little bit here, but I think this is going to be a dogfight, and I think the reason you do that, I don't know if it, I don't think it's necessarily an outscore game. I think we, you mentioned it. What we saw from the Ravens' defense against the Chargers, I need that same intensity. I need a different wrinkle. You know, I, I don't want Zach Taylor and the offensive staff for the Bengals going in. Okay, this is what they did against L.A. This is how we can change our our personnel and our plays to match what they're doing. And I think the Ravens need to find that and throw something different at Joe Burrow that maybe he hasn't seen before. He's prone to mistakes, as Jace mentioned, with all the interceptions, especially against Green Bay, that he had. And I think it comes down to tackling. You know, Jamar Chase is a great wide receiver. T. Higgins is a big wide receiver. If If you're putting Marlon Humphrey on Chase... Anthony Averitt's got to have a game against T. Higgins, which for a bigger, threatening wide receiver, I would say could be a problem. They, they proved themselves okay against Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, so I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. But even if they catch the ball, it's got to be two hands on the guy. It's got to be wrapping guys, no yards after catch. Joe Mixon can't be slipping out, uh, slipping out from the backfield, getting around guys. Calais Campbell, I think, needs to have another big game. He's been secretly, we haven't mentioned him nearly enough this year. He has been secretly great for this team all season long, blowing up the interior of offensive lines. He needs to continue to do that. Um, but for the offense, yeah. I, it's funny, though, because I, I just don't know with this offense. You know, Latavius Murray is out with an ankle injury, so they're going to have Le'Veon Bell, Devontae Freeman, and you assume Tyson Williams. You know Lamar can take over a game at any time. 
So what do you do? And I think this is a, this is what makes this offense so great now. You know, in 2019, when we first started this podcast, command the clock, run the football, dominate early. You'll be able to coast from there. Maybe they just go five wide and walk down the field on them. And, and the, I, this Ravens offense is capable of doing that. So I know I, I'm dodging your question a little bit, and I understand I immediately turned to Calais Campbell in the defensive line when you asked about offense, and I apologize for that. The offense, I'll put it this way, mix it up. And that's the thing with this offense that now other teams, other teams cannot predict the Baltimore Ravens on offense. When is the last time we said that? I'll tell you, never. We've never said that about the Baltimore Ravens since they came into this town in 1996. And I think they have a multitude of weapons that they're able to use and the fact utilizing them early, whether it's, you know, people hate the run on first down. I don't, I don't mind it necessarily, especially when you're as good as you are. If you can get four or five yards a clip on first and second down and consistently move the football like that, churn your way down the field, but not necessarily just in a road greater way, take the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands, and then when you're on that side of the field, tear him a new one to keep it PG. I think this Ravens, uh, this, the victory is there for Baltimore. Yeah, I uh, I think we'll see a little more probably uh, from Lamar this week than we did probably last uh, week or uh, against the Chargers just because they didn't need him to be, I think, as do it all. But uh, just worth noting, three of Lamar's ten highest rushing performances have come against the Bengals over the years. Um, he seems to that torch helps. them on the ground a bit, and I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I'd love if the running game carries over. Obviously, the Bengals have a decent run defense, as we mentioned, but... Um, uh, I think keeping the ball away from the Bengals offense is great, <laughs> a great thing. And similar to, yeah, I don't, I don't, we kind of glossed over it, but just with the dominant kind of performance, the Ravens uh, had a 38-22 time of possession advantage over the Chargers. Um, so obviously you're going to win a lot of games in the NFL generally if you can kind of approach those numbers. Um, and I, I think especially for a Bengals team, I think it's talented, but I, I don't think they're, you know, they're not, this isn't, you know, Peyton Manning had that one game once where the Colts won with like 20 minutes of possession. Like, I don't think the, the Bengals certainly aren't there yet. So if they can keep the ball away uh, from them, I, I like their chances. But yeah, to Tim's point, I, I think this offense, like Harbaugh said after the game, like we can attack people in different ways. And like that, as it was said, like not wasn't always true. And so uh, it's hard to believe you still look at football reference and the Ravens are fourth in yards per game uh, in the NFL right now, which is still uh you know warms my soul after so many years of being between 12th and uh 19th in yards per game i felt like in the flacco years so um yeah i uh i think it's hard to say i think they'll they'll sort of how whatever the game dictates um is kind of how they'll approach it but um yeah i'm i'm confident at this point you know, we've mentioned it several times on this pod but with Lamar, I don't think the Ravens are ever out of a game. So however it kind of plays out, uh, I, I, I trust him to, uh, to to find a way. One little thing I want to mention. We said Murray out for this game. Tyson Williams likely to be active. Opportunity for Tyson Williams to sh- reprove that he needs to be active and he needs to be getting carries on this team. Uh, would love for him to have a couple of long long runs in this one. As he has demonstrated in other games, in other weeks... Um, and if he's able to cut out cut out the mistakes, see if he can prove Pot like a Raven right that that we we've been a fan of his since uh, since dare I say the preseason because that's the only time that that we saw him play until uh, the first few weeks. 
This line for this game is Ravens by six and a half. So I'm going to turn now into our uh, our predictions and picks here. And as a as a neutral gambler, I think people are going to see that six and a half and be jumping up and down that they're getting value for the Bengals that are a four and two team that have looked fun and that that line is too high that that should be Ravens by three and a half or Ravens by four and they're going to jump all over the Bengals with those free points. For that reason, I'm taking the Ravens. I'm going the other direction. The fact that this is six and a half tells me that the Ravens are better than the Bengals by a touchdown, and that happens. They continue the winning ways. Winners of five straight. They're figuring stuff out. They just beat one of the best teams, supposedly, in the NFL. 2-0 and at home. They've beat, or 3-0 and at home, excuse me. They've beaten the Chiefs at home. They've beaten the Chargers at home. And they had whatever happened in that Colts game where they pulled out a win at home. Uh, I think this is a, a, a game that maybe is is close early, and then they pull away late, and I'm picking the Ravens to win this, maybe even by double figures. So, so I'm all over the Ravens at minus 6.5. I've been wrong on them all year, basically. So when I first saw this line, I sort of did the, ooh, that's a lot of points that the Bengals could could certainly use and make this a, a close game, and I'm going the other way. I'm, I'm fading myself here. Uh, I'm fading the, the average gambler. Ravens by 6.5. And then I have one other pick, because um, I don't love the board, and and I'm not going to stuff picks in here that that I don't believe in, that I don't like. So I'm just doing the Ravens minus six and a half, and then I'm doing a tease, doubling down on the Ravens, six point tease, the Ravens to minus half a point. I'm taking the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, moving that line to minus seven and a half against the Bears, and I'm moving the LA Rams to minus nine and a half against the Detroit Lions. All three of these teams are at home. I think the Ravens, at the very least, take care of business, so you hit that number. Tampa Bay, I think they're going to blow out Chicago. They have beaten bad teams at home by a lot. And the Rams, we, we've seen them do enough damage against the winless Detroit Lions. I think that ends up being a blowout. So Ravens minus 6.5, three-team tees. It was 2-1 last week, won my tees last week. We're, we're rolling now. We're getting on, on track. Yeah, so let's if we recap what I did real quickly. Uh, tough week for Timbo here in terms of bets. Chargers plus three. Eh. I have Buffalo minus five and a half as we record. Who knows? Uh, I'm just going to say confidently here. That means it's going to be totally screwed up. That covered if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning. Uh, New England plus four. We talked about it already. And then I believed in the crying Dan Campbells. And boy, was I wrong. Detroit plus three and a half. It didn't work. We look at this week. Antonio, I'm with you. I hate this board. I think I uh, and Jace mentioned it before we started recording here to take you behind the curtain a little bit. The Ravens Bengals is the only matchup between two teams with winning records. That's why the lines are all over the place. I looked at the fight in Dan Campbell's again. I can't do it. It's plus 15 and a half. It's a big line and I'm just addicted to biting kneecaps apparently, but I didn't do it. I backed off of that one. My only other bet outside of the Ravens game, I'm going Giants plus three at home against a Carolina Panthers team that is not very good. Another Miami Dolphins, more Denver Broncos, where they started well. We thought they were actually, oh, you know, this team could compete. Really good defense. All the all the quarterback just has to figure it out. The Panthers kind of stink. Give me the Giants and the points at home. I'm sure by the time, you know, we record this on Mondays, by the time we get to Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to flip that pick in my own personal picks that I make. We'll see what happens there. And now for the Ravens game. Oh, Antonio, you are so optimistic. 
this is going to be a dogfight. There's going to be some stupid backdoor cover. It's going to be too close late. The Ravens will be up 14 in the third quarter, and then all of a sudden the third quarter Ravens, when Cam Cameron was there, will show up. And just something will happen to make this a four-point game with 10 minutes left, and it'll stay that way. And for that reason, like I have most of the year, I'm picking Ravens to win, Bengals to cover. Bengals plus six and a half, but the Ravens get the dub. We're talking about a six and one team going into the bye week, I believe, I think is next week. Yes, thank you, Jace. The bye week next week, six and one. We're we're all super happy, but then talking about how tough the schedule is on the back end, you can guarantee it on next week's pod like a raven. There's a little tease for you. Cincy plus six and a half for me. Tim, we are pro Ravens podcast. We believe in the Ravens. Did I just say this was going to be a close dogfight? Yes, but for the pick, it is Ravens. You're lying to yourself. Ravens You're lying to yourself. This isn't you. This isn't you. Tim, Lamar Jackson owns the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, has never lost to them since he was inserted as a starter. Their last five results, Ravens 24, Bengals 21, Ravens 23, Bengals 17. Then the big ones, Ravens 49, Bengals 13, Ravens 27, Bengals 3. That was with Joe Burrow. Ravens 38, Bengals 3. For whatever reason, they've owned the Bengals recently, and uh, I think they send another big segment, and the, uh, or another big statement, rather, uh, to make us personally upset so that people spend two weeks um, talking about how great we are before the Ravens lose to Kirk Cousins at home. Um, but so I'm going, <laughs> I'm going oh. with the Ravens minus six and a half uh, in, in, a, in a big one. I think, I think this team is going to ride high into the bye week. Uh, and then just my other picks. Um, I'm still on the Raiders. They came through for me last week. They were one of my picks. Uh, getting plus odds at Denver. Now they are favored this week, but only by three against an Eagles team that I think is just not that good, frankly. Um, I was not, even though that game got weirdly close against the Bucks, it, it was so one-sided for so long, and then suddenly it was close. But I think the Raiders, you know, this is their... They're back home after the Gruden stuff. I think they'll still be playing pretty well. I think they're a good team. I just think the Raiders are good. So I think as a three-point favorite at home against the Eagles team, I think it's bad. That's why I'm going with the Raiders there. And then I am taking the Rams, minus 15 and a half, 15 and a half point favorites. Matt Stafford is going to send a message to the Detroit Lions and uh, Dan Campbell, uh, Jared Goff in his old stomping grounds. I saw a fun stat today where golf has never won a game for a coach that isn't Sean McVay. So <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, I just, I think Stafford, well, not that he like had, I don't know that he sh- has a ton of animosity for Detroit, but he'll, he'll, he'll be wanting to send a message. And I think they'll, uh, they'll put on a show and the Rams seem to blow out bad teams uh, as we saw uh, the other day against the Giants. So, um, yeah, I'm riding the Rams. I think they'll put on a big show in a battle of, uh, in the Jared Goff's homecoming game, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's a lot of points, but I, I think, I think the Lions are, I think the Lions are in trouble. Uh, I don't think they're going to go 0-17, but they were already pretty talent thin and they've lost some guys to injury and, uh, it's not going great uh, there. Um, 0-6 and, uh, Dan Campbell's in the press conference saying he needs more from Jared Goff. <laughs> and to the end, on Monday, he said, quote, we're going to have to shake things up. Uh-oh, yeah, so that doesn't seem to bode well. Only six games in, so... Yeah, I'll go with the Rams. The Rams seem to have everything pretty much together. I think they're still a really good team. But, uh, yeah, so those are my picks. Who needs who needs a tease? 
Jace Rams by 15 and a half. Just outright. Uh, when right, the Lions win somehow, just. <laughs> last thing to do right, here yeah. is, uh, is for Tim to run through the random Raven. One more time, Tim. Yeah, so let's go through these clues, although it seems like my, my hosts don't need it. I am so impressed. Uh, clue number one, this player won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. Clue number two, he was drafted in the seventh round of the 2005 NFL Draft and spent seven seasons in the NFC West with two teams before wrapping up his career in Baltimore. Clue number three, in two seasons with the Ravens, he played 14 games. He only started two of them, and as a pass catcher, he finished with two catches for 18 yards in his illustrious Baltimore career. Clue number four, he spent most of his career wearing the number 47, but when he moved to Baltimore, he took over Todd Heap's old number. Clue number five, his first and last name start with the same letter, and I'll say it, maybe the best clue of all time in, in Pod Like a Raven, Random Raven's history. Clue number six slash bonus. There is so little, little about this player's time in Baltimore that Wikipedia was stretching. And on his page, quote, on the Ravens' first score of the season in the 2013 season opener, he went in motion prior to the snap putting the entire opposing Denver Broncos defense off guard and nearly single-handedly contributing <laughs> to Vontae Leach's touchdown reception. It's, un- it's unreal. Tim, we need to, when we post this episode uh, on Tuesday, we, we have to have some sort of clip about this, I guess without uh, showing the name so that the listener can actually play the game through as well. But Yeah, I will say the direct quote, I definitely took his name out of there. So that, that would definitely give it away. But maybe we'll post it later. Or here's the thing. After Antonio and Jace, and I have confidence in them, correctly guess this random Raven, just search his Wikipedia. I'm on it right now. Scroll down to the Baltimore Ravens part. It is, let's see, one, two, three, four sentences long, his time with the Baltimore Ravens. And that sentence that I just read you is the last one. Jace, I, uh, I missed a few random Ravens. And two weeks ago, I said I got to get on my game. So I'm going to take this one, if that's all right. And then you can confirm. But, uh, boy, this is none other than Billy Bahama, Bahima, Bahima. I don't know the pronunciation because he stunk and he didn't play that long. But that is my uh, my guess for the random Raven. Yeah, I maybe I just ever always said it how it's spelled. But I always thought it was Billy Badgham. <laughs> that was how I said it. <laughs> but that's who I believe I... it to be, too. Yeah, I've always heard it as Billy Bajima, and that is your random Raven. Billy Bajima. Good guys, congrats! I, Great job! I, I am stunned. I, I am frankly watching. stunned. I was watching something the other week, and it was like a Ravens highlight from those years, and he was just like in the background. It was like after they won a game with like on a field goal or something. He was like a terrible Nick Boyle. You know what? It probably was. He might have been like that. That game Tucker won. Because that might have been why it got recycled against Detroit or something. I, I just remember seeing Bajima 86 on my on something I was watching recently. And I was like, what in the world? I'm stunned. Uh, I'm stunned. What a, I mean, that's the definition of Random Raven. I have no memories of him other than that he was on the team and wore 86. Which, yeah, that's crazy. Has anyone else worn 86 like since him? Nick Boyle. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, we need him back so bad. 
All right, well, that is a fantastic, a fantastic name. Yeah, I, I, I did not know how to pronounce his name because I never heard it. I don't think I've ever heard it said out loud in any instance. You don't remember the two catches he had? <laughs> well, you know, I, for eighteen I, yards. Yeah, I missed the, uh, the announcer going wild about his going in motion that led to a touchdown. Uh, incredible. That's gonna do it for us. We gotta move, move on from that. I want to talk about that Wikipedia page for another half an hour, but we're gonna, we're gonna get out of here. Uh. With the bye coming next week, we will have just an hour and a half to talk about this first AFC North matchup between the Ravens and the Bengals. We're excited for it. A test for this Ravens team coming off of five straight wins. Oh, you think you're good? Go beat the AFC North rivals. For Tim Horsey and Jay Sevens, I'm Antonio Rivera. Thank you, as always, for listening to us. We will see you next week. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.